Hello, you are listening to the Vijay Himong podcast. The 2020 virtual ASH meeting included important data for the management of myelodysplastic syndromes. Today, we will be discussing key abstracts and new developments in the field, including data presented for imeltostat, venetoclax, and other agents. First up, Uwe Platzbecker outlines the results of the ongoing Phase 2 iMERGE trial investigating imetalstat for transfusion-dependent patients with lower-risk MDS. The iMERGE study was actually presented, the Phase 2 part, presented at the ASH meeting. It's about imetalstat in lower-risk MDS patients being ESA refractory or um, not eligible uh, for ESA or resistant, and uh, this study actually investigates imetastat in uh, these uh, patients and uh, patients actually with a very high transfusion burden, um, actually eight median number of eight units of red blood cells within uh, eight weeks prior to the uh, prior to start of the therapy. So really patients where nothing works um, and uh, therefore the, the, the data and the results of the study were quite impressive with regards to the overall rate of transfusion independency, which was above 40%. And also 29% of the patients were transfusion independent uh, beyond one year. So also not only that uh, the rate of transfusion independency was quite high, also it was durable uh, in uh, approximately one third of the patients, which uh, I think is uh, quite remarkable. Uh, results. The study also did some translational research and um, found out that uh, the allelic burden of mutations like SF3V1 declined uh, at the time also uh, of the response to imetastat single agent treatment, um, suggesting that the drug has disease modifying activity. These, these study results of the phase two are the backbone for the ongoing phase three trial um, with a two-to-one randomization imetastat versus placebo in exactly the same patient population. So lower risk MDS patients uh, being refractory or, or resistant uh, to ESA uh, therapy and being transfusion uh, dependent. And um, the trial is running and I think hopefully it, the, the study will pave the way for a potential uh, registration of a novel agent in low-risk MDS patients. Next, we are joined by Jacqueline Garcia, who will share the results of a Phase 1b study evaluating venetoclax plus as a cytidine in treatment-naive higher-risk MDS patients. At ASH 2020, on behalf of my co-investigators, I presented Abstract 656. This is a Phase 1b study um, looking at safety, efficacy, and PROs, or patient report outcomes in patients that received venetoclax in combination with azacitidine. Um, we had previously presented the early safety and early uh, efficacy in uh, ASH 2019. Dr. Andrew Way presented that data where we saw encouraging safety profile and uh, promising uh, overall response rate and survival. And here we present the update plus include patient report outcomes, which is in particular very important. Um, as our patient population, for those with higher risk MDS, uh, they often have um, symptomatic burdens such as fatigue. Uh, most of them are largely older and have largely incurable disease. So making sure that our treatment does not impact quality of life and in fact increases quality of life is uh, paramount. So we, ex uh, we were able to take a look at patient reported outcomes on an exploratory level. So here in this abstract, 
We present patients, uh, 78 patients that received combination azacitinib plus venetoclax. Um, and we, in particular, highlight the 51 patients of the 78 that received uh, treatment at the recommended phase two dose. The recommended phase two dose um, will be venetoclax 400 milligrams days one through 14 on a 28-day cycle with standard dose azacitidine um, at 75 mg per meter squared days one through seven. The objectives of the study include safety, and then secondary objectives include uh, looking at response and survival. Exploratory objectives include looking at patient report outcomes following the ERTC uh, quality of life questionnaire core. And so um, patients that were included in this study notably had to have higher risk MDS, and this was defined as patients with an IPSS score of 1.5 or higher. Um, they could not receive prior MDS therapy, and patients that had therapy-related disease or overlap syndrome were excluded. So of the 78 patients that received combination therapy, uh, we note that uh, the IPSS cytogenetic uh, risk of these patients uh, are uh, pretty uh, interesting. 22% had intermediate risk cytogenetics, 39% had poor risk cytogenetics. And when we take a look at the IPSS categorization, 73% had intermediate two disease, 27% had high risk disease. As we know that IPSSR can uh, delineate these Risk, strat uh, risk stratification um, better uh, based on the weight for our chromosomes. We were able to see that with IPSSR reclassification, 26% had high-risk disease and 56% had very high-risk disease. Um, most of our patients' command study had baseline cytopenias. When we, took a, when we uh, took a look at the AEs among the patients that received uh, the combination therapy, we noted that most events were either GI or are, uh, cytopenias, and importantly, grade three or four events were all cytopenic, with febrile neutropenia occurring at, at 49%. Notably, because antibiotic prophylaxis was mandatory uh, during cycle one of treatment, which is when patients, uh, most patients had their most profound nadir um, that did mitigate uh, serious infection events. And so although the febrile neutropenia rate was 45% uh, in terms of SAE, um, only 6% had pneumonia and 5% had diverticulitis, suggesting there is a way for us to mitigate risk Further, as noted, uh, recommended phase two dose is venetoclax 400 milligrams days one through 14. So having the two weeks off of therapy in the cycle did allow for recovery hematopoiesis and likely also further reduced uh, infectious rate. Um, overall, 95% of patients required a cycle delay and median time to next cycle is about 15 days. 55% um, of patients had uh, protocol required venetoclax dose interruptions based on AEs and 35% had uh, venetoclax dose reductions based on protocol uh, recommendations. Notably, a third of patients required um, greater than one, one, sorry, one or more azacitidine dose reductions per protocol. And because of these dose reductions that were allowed and um, provided by the protocol, it helped patients to stay on therapy and to not have serious events, further serious events. Um, the 30-day mortality was uh, 1%. Um, in terms of the uh, response rate, this recapitulated what Dr. Wade presented in 2019, but we did see an objective response rate that was robust at 79%, including 40% with CR, 40% with marrow CR. When we took a look at patients that received uh, treatment at the recommended phase two dose, again, this is 51 patients, 84% had an objective response rate, and that includes 35% with CR and 45% with uh, marrow CR plus hematologic improvement. The median time response was two and a half months. Two thirds of patients became transfusion independent, which is huge for quality of life. 
and 21% went on to receive a transplantation because they became eligible later. The median time on study was about 16 and a half months, and importantly for patients treated with the combination, the median overall survival was 27 and a half months. But for those that were on the recommended phase two dose, uh, this has not yet been reached. And so we look forward to seeing what the long-term follow-up shows for patients, but so far there's indication that the treatment effect is durable, patients could stay on therapy, and that there appears to be uh, a really nice survival uh, for patients that receive treatment at the recommended phase two dose. Uh, when we take a look at overall survival based on responses, as expected, patients that got a CR or marrow CR with hematologic improvement, um, they had the longest survival compared to others. When we took a look at patient report outcomes, and this is the first time we've reported this, we see that there is improvement uh, in dyspnea and fatigue. The improvements were largest among those that achieved a complete remission, but importantly, they were durable, um, observed as early as cycle three and persistent at cycle 13. We took a look at physical functioning as another PRO, and it was maintained uh, for patients on study that suggest tolerability. Um, and when we took a look at global health status or quality of life, we, we noted improvements, and, and impressively, the improvements continued even at um, cycle 13, which is when we saw the biggest change of quality of life. So here we present the safety and preliminary efficacy, encouraging early survival for our patients that arguably looks to be better than what might be expected with azacitidine alone, but this was not a randomized study. And so a phase three trial called Verona um, is um, launching that will recruit patients with higher risk MDS to evaluate safety of and efficacy of venetoclax plus azacitidine versus placebo plus azacitidine with a goal to change standard of care or to improve upon it. Lastly, Daniel D'Angelo joins us to share the results of a phase one trial of the cytobine in combination with ipilimumab in patients with relapsed refractory MDS or acute myeloid leukemia. So ipilimumab uh, CTLA-4 inhibitor uh, was uh, actually reported from our group in uh, bone marrow uh, relapses, AML, and we, we actually published this. Uh, Matt Davis was the first author uh, several years ago in the New England Journal and showed some intriguing uh, uh, responses, particularly in patients with extramedullary relapse of their uh, myeloid leukemia after transplant. Uh, and so we added this to uh, decidabine for uh, patients who have uh, relapsed with uh, high-risk MDS or AML uh, following transplant. And we're also using it in patients who are treatment naive. Uh, the interesting thing is that with the addition of ipilimumab, uh, we haven't seen overwhelming uh, uh, acute uh, graft-versus-host disease, so it's been relatively stable. We've had some intriguing responses of uh, reemergence uh, of the uh, uh, of the clone of the uh, donor uh, chimerism, if you will, uh, uh, which has resulted in, in remission. Uh, and in patients who are transplant naive, we've seen uh, really uh, some astronomically impressive results uh, in that setting with a very good safety signal. Uh, so, you know, moving ahead and trying to uh, uh, with correlatives, trying to decide who's really uh, going to respond to uh, checkpoint inhibition in addition to HMA therapy is the, the, next task, the next task. But at least we've been able to show that we can combine this both in the post-transplant setting as well as in the transplant naive setting uh, with safety. Thank you for listening. If you have found this podcast useful, please leave a review. To keep up to date with the latest Hemonk news, including expert interviews from major international congresses, visit vjhemonk.com and follow us on Twitter at vjhemonk to join in the conversation.